This is Planet Money from NPR. Look at Keith Romer. Brett, you're running close. I'm here. I'm ready. Uh, Give me a time check. What do you got? 9.03 a.m. All right, so 9.03 a.m. in New York City, which means it is 9.03 p.m. in Wuhan, China, where currently the Wuhan Open tennis tournament is going on. There's one match left. We still have time to place a sports bet. We are in New York City, where it is illegal to make a sports bet on your phone. However, we are at the George Washington Bridge, and on the other side of that bridge, New Jersey. Gambler's Paradise. Off we go, Keith. Okay. Come on. Keith, come on. You're like a decade younger than me. Keith, you know I've been doing this for about a year, right? The running across the bridge? Yeah, to play sports bets from time to time. Okay. okay. This is Jersey. This Jersey is... enough. Yeah, we're under a bridge. Under a bridge. How much more Jersey do you want to be? Concrete. Yeah. Exhaust. People commuting to somewhere else. All right, here we go. Yeah. Uh, we've got Sloan Stevens mm-hmm. versus Petra Pit... Kvitova. Kvitova. I like. I've definitely heard of Sloane Stevens. She's an American tennis player. I've I've seen her play before. She's awesome. What's the sweet spot? I'm gonna type in fifty. Feels like too much. For, but I, this I, is for our listeners. Nope. Fifty is making me anxious. Okay. Uh, fifteen. Fifteen feels good. Okay. Fifteen. Are you not sure? No. It's it's your money. I don't care what you do. Processing. Processing. Uh, bet placed. Good luck. Hey, right, you want to watch it? Yeah, got, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got it on my phone. That's Petra Kvitova. That's who you just bet against. That's Kvitova? <laughs> That's who you bet against. She's like 6'3", man. Yeah, just watch her serve. This is the serve that you bet against. Oh, no. And we're 20 minutes later now, and it appears that that was a bad bet. This isn't even close. No. Petra's been playing so well. Petra Kvitova. Match Kvitova. As the two-time Wuhan champion. She's the returning Wuhan the champion? time Wuhan champion. Do your research, Kenny uh, Malone. You just ran to New Jersey to give away $15 to a giant casino corporation. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Kenny Malone. And I'm Keith Rover. Today on the show, three stories about three sports bets, all of which are better than the one Kenny Malone just made. That was a bad sports bet. You want to run back? Did you know that whole time that Kavitova was that much better? Why didn't you say something? I think you seemed so, uh, you know, I didn't, I, uh, I don't know, it's kind of fun to, oh, you're opening it up. Come on, Kitty, you're not going to get your money back by running faster, Malone! Support for NPR comes from Newman's Own Foundation, working to nourish the common good by donating all profits from Newman's Own food products to charitable organizations that seek to make the world a better place. More information is available at newmansownfoundation.org. I'm Sarah Rosalski. I'm Gregory's mother. Did you imagine Greg would grow up to become a Planet Money newsletter writer? I'm really not surprised because he really loves to write. My whole book club now is all signed up. <laughs> really? Yeah. How do you subscribe? Go to npr.org slash newsletter and then subscribe there. Sports betting, as Kenny learned the hard way, is about having as much information as possible before you bet. Or having friends who will share information with you, but sure, go on. (laughs) So tennis sports bettors, unlike Kenny, have found this way to maximize the information they get. Do you want to know the secret? Yeah. 
you physically go to the match. Oh, like be there live in person. Right, because if you were at home watching on TV, there's a delay. Okay. You have to wait for like the umpire to press the button to get the score in. But if you are there live, you know before everybody else. And so gamblers actually hire people to go to matches. They're called courtsiders. And I heard about them from this tennis journalist, Ben Rothenberg. If you're a courtsider, you go to a tennis match, you sit there, and you push a button each time someone wins a point. If player A wins the point, you press one button. If player B wins the point, you press another button. So are you telling me that it is somebody's job to fly around the world and watch tennis matches and then, like, press a button on their phone? That is a that is a job somebody could have? Right. You're in Monaco one week. You're in Madrid the next week. Come on. Florida. What are we doing in radio? Okay, so Ben says there is a downside to this job, which is that tennis officials do not like anything that has to do with gambling. Does it feel icky? Is it like They make this kind of slippery slope argument where today maybe you're just sending off scores. Tomorrow maybe you're like offering a player a bribe to take a dive. Wow, that seems like quite a, quite a slope, but okay. So what has developed is this kind of cat and mouse game, right? On one side, you've got the courtsiders sitting in the stands trying to like send their updates. And on the other side, you've got the, the officials from the tennis tournament trying to stop them. So at any given tournament, at any given match, there will be people who are called spotters who are surveying the crowd with binoculars, walking around, taking looks, looking at their book of faces of people who have been apprehended or who are known courtsiders and matching people up. So Ben was at this tournament in Charleston and he actually saw one of these courtsiders getting taken out by the security guards. No. And they had sort of pinned him to the ground and I noticed that he had a wig that had fallen off. His wig? What kind of a wig was it? It was like a long hair. He said it was just like some cheap Halloween wig. Like it was obviously, like once it came off, (laughs) sort of the jig was up. Uh, Tennis has some odd characters, but even by those standards, that that was pretty strange. What is interesting to me about what's going on here, it used to be the way you made money if you were a tennis association was you sold broadcasting rights. Yeah. But then a few years ago, they figured out, hey, we can sell the score data, right? We can sell... 4015, 4030, deuce, right? We can sell that on to gambling websites, to news sites. Okay, and if I'm running a gambling website, I'm I'm sort of obligated to do that. Otherwise, my thing isn't going to work. Exactly. But the courtsiders then are in direct competition with that stream of data. They're pirating the data, the tennis organization would argue. Right. And it's a strange thing from a... From a free speech point of view, honestly, in terms of legal question, I mean, I mean, if I'm at a match and talking to you on the phone while I'm at the match and say, hey, Nadal's up 2-1 in the first set, I can't imagine that I'm breaking any rule by doing that. But the tennis data rights police would say that you were. In fact, they say it right on the ticket. If you go to the U.S. Open, the fine print on your ticket says something about how you are not allowed to transmit information for gambling purposes. If they catch you courtsiding, they kick you out. If you come back, they will charge you with trespassing. It's the same as a casino that kicks people out for counting cards. Counting cards is not against the law, but it is against the house rules of the casino and tennis tournaments to have that same kind of casino ethos when it comes to courtsiders. Okay, Keith, story number two. This is, I guess, technically also a story about information and sports gambling, only this time... It is about gamblers not having all of the information. I'm interested. It is a story about a casino mystery, and I heard about it from my sister's husband's brother. It's complicated. Don't worry about it. Do you just want to introduce yourself so I've got that on tape? James Holtzauer, professional sports gambler, Las Vegas, Nevada. 
All right. So when does this story start? Do we start this in 2017, I guess? Uh, yeah. You know, I had a bunch of bets. Um, so it's 2017 yeah. World Series, Keith. Houston Astros. Yep. Uh, LA Dodgers. 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 Sure. And you know, James is a professional sports gambler. He is watching the betting markets when he notices one day that like, whoa, it looks like at one casino, like a bunch of money was just bet on the Houston Astros. Your first thought is, okay, someone knows something I don't. You know, I need- He's wondering, like, I don't, is there like a, a star player who, who just player got injured or something? But, you know, I check. Nothing seems to be going on. Huh. He's like weird, but a little time passes. And then the same thing happens at a different casino. Bunch of money on the Astros. And then another casino and another casino. And it happens like through the whole day. And this is not normal. No. You know, it's like there's someone going around to different casinos betting huge amounts on one side. And I'm kind of like, what's the deal here? You know, so like this was this was this mystery among professional sports gamblers. Like, why would someone be going casino to casino without seemingly any new information, placing giant bets on the Astros? Is this the part where you're going to tell me the answer? I mean, yeah. Nice. The answer begins with one of the greatest YouTube videos I have ever seen. Can I show it to you? Yeah. Okay. Hi, folks. This is Mattress Mac. If your mattress is older than 10 years old, pick it up and throw it out. Come to Gallery Furniture. Get yourself a Keeps making a funny face. So there is a man wearing a mattress. Like, literally, instead of, like, a guy in a barrel, it's a guy in a mattress. And yeah. he, uh, he is selling mattresses, I gather? Yes. This is a man named Jim Mackingvale, a.k.a. Keith Mattress Mac. That's a great name. Hi, this is Mac. Hey, Mac, it's... Uh, Kenny is Malone. there... Do we have a solution to the mystery of why he's wearing a mattress? That is... Of course we do. Who started calling you Mattress Mac? Myself. When did you start that? There was a guy in the 50s in Texas who was in the tire business, and his tire business was floundering, so he decided to start wearing a tire around his shoulder to his waist every day. When he went to... <laughs> took his kids to school and went to PTA meeting, he became known as a tire man, and he got rich, so I figured I'd try the same thing with mattresses. And it seems to have worked. His his furniture chain is like quite large in Texas and people know Mattress Mac. Like he is a famous figure in Texas. So, OK, what does this have to do with the Las Vegas thing? Yeah. OK, so 2017, the beginning of the baseball season, Mac decided to run a promotion. The pitch is if you buy a mattress $3,000 or better and the Astros win it all, you get your mattress free. OK, so $3,000 mattress or more. And if the Astros win the World Series, you it's yours. You get to keep the mattress. We'll give you a refund. Yeah, I can't say World Series because it's a trademark name. But sure. If the, but if the Astros win it all. But the Astros were really good. Like, that was a that's an actual risk. Like, that could have happened. Totally fair. And so Mac was like, I knew that was a possibility. So took out an insurance policy. About $4 million of coverage. Is that enough? Well, so the season starts and people start buying mattresses. $3 million worth. $4 million oh, worth. No. The Astros are really good. They keep doing better. People keep buying mattresses. It was a lot. And then um, we kept it going right till the World Series started. And we got up to $13 million. That seems higher. I mean, you were insured for about $4 million, you think. So $13 million seems like maybe more than you had bargained for. Yeah, it was. But, you know, there's always opportunities to hedge in Nevada. Do you understand what he's saying when he says that? Yeah, right? That he would go to Las Vegas and... Bet, I guess he would bet for the Astros, right? Right. So what he knows he can do is go to the sports market, and if he places a huge bet on the Astros, he has balanced out his bet. Like, if the Astros end up winning the World Series, yes, he's going to have to pay out all those mattresses, 
but he will then get a bunch of money back from the betting market. And that is why the betting market was like moving at each casino over the course of the day. It was Mac wearing an Astros jersey, placing massive bets. Uh, are you willing to share at all how much they would take or how much you were able to put down? Game seven, probably a million five or something like that. Spread out over like, what, four or five casinos, was it? Yeah. 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 That's a lot of money. It is. Are you walking up to these casinos with like a suitcase full of like cash? Is that how this is working? No, I wire the money out there before I go out there. Ah, uh, right. So it's going to be like Ocean's Eleven style. Well, carrying a suitcase full of cash is very dangerous. Uh, well, sure, but it's, it's also very cool. Yeah. Mac had, in fact, been doing this over the course of the entire playoffs. This just happened to be the biggest one. It's kind of brilliant. So what ends up happening? Who wins the bet? The Astros win. So he has to give out all of these refunds. And he's actually sort of happy about this, honestly, because it's like... He gets money from the betting and the insurance. And, and in the end, Max says, he really only had to pay out of pocket for like two or three million dollars worth of those refunds. That's not bad. No, not bad for all the customers that were happy and thrilled. And we had a refund party a, a month or six weeks after the World Series. Oh, go ahead. Do you need to take the call? Yeah, hold on a second. Sure. Yeah, Larry. The Astros, by the way, competitive this year in baseball. He's doing it again. No. Yep. Mattress Mac. Mattress Mac knows what's up. Don't you ever learn. After the break, Keith Romer is out. See ya. Ben Johnson from the Endless Thread podcast is in to talk about a whole new world of other kinds of bets. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Capital Group, home of American Funds, an investment firm that has helped change your clients' can I into I can. Visit CapitalGroup.com today. Talk to your advisor or consultant for investment risks and information. Hey, everyone. I'm Cardiff Garcia, co-host of The Indicator, Planet Money's daily podcast. This week, we look at probiotics. Why are these unregulated supplements flying off the shelves when their benefits are so hotly debated by doctors and scientists? Hear more on The Indicator from Planet Money for your daily economics news. Okay, so for this third story, we have a kind of gamble in the esports world arguably. But weirdly, it is not clear if it is a gamble. And that's sort of the entire point. People can't figure out if this particular thing is like gambling. Uh, And here to help me talk about this is Ben Johnson from the Endless Thread podcast. Ben? Kenny, how are you? Thanks for bringing me video games. Let's game. Does this count as sports? Yeah. It's like a stretch. Esports. It's all right. Okay. So we're going to show you this thing that people can't agree about. But to do it, Kenny and I are going to need to actually, like, step into a video game for a second. But we're also going to have help. Yes. Kenny, you down? Full on. Yes. Let's do this. Broop, broop, broop. Oh. Ooh. All right, Owen. All right. Your, uh, your, your dad is the editor of Planet Money. Yep. How old are you? You're 13? 14. 14. We're watching your stream right now. What are we watching? Overwatch. All right, so pause for a second, I guess, Owen. Okay. That's the loot box. Yeah. Owen, how would you describe what this box looks like? Uh, just a glowing box. It looks futuristic, definitely. It has something that comes out of it. I don't know what. You only see when you open it. Two boxes is $2. Five boxes is $5. Eleven boxes is $10. 
What is inside of this thing? Basically just clothes or like sprays which you can put on walls like inside the game. Yeah, you can get voices out of it that say like phrases. Open it now. All right. Yep, got a skin. Yeah. Yeah. Catchphrase. You literally will just say catchphrase? Yep. Catchphrase. I kind of like that. Enjoy those loot crates, man. All right. Bye. Thank you. So that is a loot crate or a loot box. And yes. that is the thing people cannot seem to agree about. That's right. We are going to define this as basically a like box in a video game that you can pay real money to get that gives you stuff for the video game, virtual stuff. Yeah, but you don't know what it is until you open the loot box. Mystery boxes. Yes. Very exciting. Loot boxes are actually a fundamental revenue model of all kinds of games now, right? This has been happening over the last 10 years or so. And it's not just how these games make any real money. It's actually how they also keep making real money from their users. Loot boxes are supposed to be a $50 billion piece of the overall video game industry in the next three years. And these are present in like every kind of game you could possibly imagine. Everything from like FIFA. World Cup soccer all the way to like a Star Wars game that infamously included them back in 2017. Yep. Battlefront 2. And now it would be one thing if the only people doing this quasi gambling by buying loot boxes were grownups. But if we're talking about video games, a lot of the people playing these games are kids like Owen. And like, look, whatever you think about whether gambling is good or not, like there seems to be some consensus around the idea that like maybe kids should not be the ones doing the gambling. Here, for example, is U.S. Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri, who made this angry Twitter video about loot boxes. This needs to stop. They need to be upfront about what their games are actually doing, and they need to stop practices that intentionally exploit children. Who among us hasn't made an angry Twitter video about loot boxes? <laughs> Holly has actually introduced a bill that would ban the sale of loot boxes to children because kids gambling is, yes, bad. But is it gambling? That is the question. And so to answer this question, I called somebody up. She knows a lot about gambling, but she maintains she is not a gambler. I'm not a dopamine rush kind of girl. I'm way too cautious and nerdy and numbers oriented for that. <laughs> This is Leah Nauer, and she is the director of the Center for Gambling Studies at Rutgers University. Gambling is basically betting money um, on a an outcome of random chance. So there's a variable outcome. You're willing to put up money with the hope that you're going to win more, but you may lose all your money. So like by that definition, it's a little hard to say because like loot crates, yeah, they take real money, but then it's not like you're looking to win more money. You're just sort of buying this random array of like virtual stuff. Virtual stuff. Yeah. And Leah says a better question might be about whether opening loot boxes feels like gambling. She actually did a study about the overlap between gamblers and gamers. Almost half, I think like 46% of those who played video games also bought loot boxes. And among the loot box players, they were significantly more likely to also have gambling problems and or problems with video gaming. The study found that a lot of people who are drawn to loot boxes are also drawn to gambling. But she told you, Ben, that like it is not clear cut exactly whether these are gambling. I was really hoping you'd give me either a thumbs up or a thumbs down, but you seem to be wagging your thumb somewhere in the middle here. 
Yeah, because there's no there's no agreement on this, not among scholars, not among regulators. Somebody in a position of regulatory or legislative authority has got to really clearly start to define these boundaries. In the U.S., that still hasn't happened. Remember the senator with the angry Twitter video? He has introduced a bill that would ban the sale of loot boxes to children. But that bill hasn't really gone anywhere yet. In other parts of the world, laws are getting passed. So, for example, in Belgium, uh, Belgium's gambling commission shut down three pretty big games and they threatened these these companies that make these games five years in prison and 80,000 euro fines if they kept offering their loot boxes. And also in Australia, they're talking about making loot box games essentially rated R, so 18 plus. It does feel a little bit like handing children a little virtual slot machine that takes real money. I mean, if we're being honest, that is sort of what they feel like. It totally feels like that. And Kenny, in this international regulatory malaise, shall we say, gaming companies are starting to self-regulate. They're changing the way that they put loot boxes into their games. They're also looking at whether or not kids under 18 should be buying loot boxes and starting to change that as well. But for now, at least in the United States, the people who get to decide whether loot boxes are okay are just like everybody who plays video games. People like our editor's son, Owen. So, Owen, can I ask you a question? Yep. Do you think that a loot box is, like, gambling? Yep. We want to buy more. Are you addicted to opening yeah. loot boxes already? And do we have your dad's credit card? Yep. Well, let's just spend, uh, let's buy, f- buy 50 of them. 50 of them? Dad's credit card. Okay. Got it. Yeah, do another one. All right. If you'd like to hear more stories about internet weirdness, specifically about Reddit, you can find that at Ben Johnson's podcast, Endless Thread, wherever you find your podcasts. And here at Planet Money, we always want to hear from you. You can email us at planetmoney at npr.org. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, generally at Planet Money. This episode was produced by Darian Woods. Alex Goldmark is our supervising producer, and Bryant Burstead edits the show. I'm Kenny Malone. This is NPR. Thanks for listening. Catchphrase!